Uh, good morning. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My, my name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. This week we're kicking off a new series that's called Walk This Way. And yes, the Aerosmith song, whoa, does come to mind instantly. Um, but it's, it's really intended, the series is intended to speak to uh, Christian, the Christian person. Uh, we're meant to walk and talk the way of Jesus, the way he instructs and models for us. Yet, like a pool of fish, our culture today, or what's easy, or what's even seemingly natural for us, tends to be moving with the masses or flowing the opposite direction of Jesus. To follow Jesus is to be a minority now. So what we're going to do is each week we're going to look at one person in Scripture during Jesus' time and examine how they walked as in how they lived, to learn whether they were living in sync with Jesus and his ways or not. But then most importantly, learn from them and their experience so that we can adapt our lives to be more in sync with Jesus and moving his direction. In doing so, we're going to actually be using uh, some scenes from the TV series, The Chosen. Has anyone seen it? Yeah, it's a great show. I, I recommend it. But we're going to use this to help illustrate what some of these characters were going through or what some of the people that walked with Jesus were going through. We did this series uh, last year, and we covered Matthew. We covered Peter and Nicodemus and Mary Magdalene. And we showed a number of scenes for each of these people. If you missed it or you haven't seen those messages or, those, those series, or that series yet, check them out. We actually have the, uh, them on our YouTube page. You can check that out there, too. Um, there's a new TV season of The Chosen coming out, season four. Um, all of the prior seasons, they're free right now. They're on the Angel app that you can just download for free. Simply download it, give it a watch. But what we'll be primarily using for this series is from the first three seasons. One disclaimer uh, uh, before we really dive into it today that I said last year when we did this series, and I'll say now as well, The Chosen is not Scripture. They specifically say this in the show, and I think it's great. They say, The Chosen is based on the true stories of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Some locations and timelines have been combined or condensed. Backstories and some characters or dialogue have been added. However, all biblical and historical context and any artistic imagination are designed to support the truth and intentions of the Scriptures. Viewers are encouraged to read the Gospels. The Chosen, it's meant to be entertaining, but it's also meant to communicate biblical themes. So we'll get some entertainment from it today, but then we are going to use actual scripture, the Bible, for confirmation onto what really happened and what God wants us to learn from it as we reflect on it. Today's message is looking at a person who is what I want to describe as an achiever, he's entrepreneurial, he's smart with his money, he's business-focused, he's one who seeks purpose and mission, he's strategic and thoughtful. No, we're not talking about Steve Jobs, Bill Gates is not in the Bible, not Ivanka Trump or Elon Musk, not Warren Buffett, nor Jimmy Buffett. None of them are in the Bible, it's not, they're not who we're talking about. Whether you like these people or not, I don't know about you, but these character traits, these are, these are things that are seen as kind of positives these days, or even... Even for me personally, these are positives in my life. I want to be these things. These are things I personally like and I can relate with. They're what I hope my character and my skill set exudes. Like, I want success. I want to be an achiever. I, I, in work and in my intellect and my personal connections, I'm also extremely competitive. I want success in that. I want fitness success. Don't you want success? Right? I think we all do. Who doesn't? 
I love being entrepreneurial. Like, this one's kind of like weird for me, but like to be entrepreneurial for fun, I literally just like to brainstorm new business ideas. That's what I do for fun. I try to think of like ideas to, to make money or to provide for a need. So like one that came to mind was like a dog poop picker upper. I'd go to people's houses, pick up poop for them, take it away, pay me cash. Awesome. Um, curbside large garbage pickup. I got a truck. Put your couch out there, put some cash out there, I'll take care of it for you. Uh, a kid podcaster, like I can make a kid's podcast using stuffed animals. These are like conversations with my, my daughter. I'm like, yeah, I, I can make that work. That'd be cool. A table maker. Um, I bought these, uh, these, this tabletop from Menards, stained it, coated it, bought the legs from Amazon. Oh, I could sell those. Be awesome. Isn't it beautiful? Nice. I'm always, I'm always hustling, and I'm always thinking advancement. So you're welcome if you get rich off, off of one of my ideas. I just planted to you. You can give me a commission later. Um, but I also just love strategizing, right? Like that was another one on that list of the, the character traits of this person we're looking at. I love strategizing, like with my, with my finances, like how to be thrifty and save and get the cash back or get the discount or the rate that's the best rate. I'm the one who doesn't really like to beat around the bush. I'm business focused. Like, I prefer to be business oriented and right to it with people. I'm one who wants to contribute to places, like uh, seeking purpose and mission. Like, I want to make an actual difference with purpose and mission with my life and my skills. And when I do, I'm extremely strategic. I'm extremely thoughtful about things. Uh, and you can ask any staff member here. I, I know why I do what I do. I have all the answers behind it. Like me, if some of these character traits or these things on this list sound like you, you're going to need today's message because today we're studying a person who exemplifies a lot of these in the Bible. But unfortunately, that person is Judas. He's the person in the TV show, The Chosen, who's kind of portrayed, kind of portrayed like this. We're going to watch a scene, and it's about a minute and a half long, but it kind of portrays who he is in the early times. Check it out. I'm Judas. I'm Kerioth. Shalom, Judas. Shalom. I saw you before I stepped out to talk to the people, and then I noticed you listening very intently during my sermon. It was wonderful. Thank you. And then Nathaniel briefly told me how you gave us help and how you might be interested in joining us. He's not easy to impress. Ah. I attended Bet Midrash, but my father passed away before I could pursue a rabbi, so I stayed home to work. I would like to follow you. You would? Very much. I may not be a soldier in battle, but I have business and financial skills that I would like to use to spread the, this ministry far and wide as fast as possible. I, I did attend the Beth Midrash, and I... <laughs> I heard you the first time. I do not require that of my followers. You would actually be one of the few. I only require what other rabbis do. That you seek to be like me. Of course. But that will be much more difficult with me than with other rabbis, I can assure you. Are you ready to do hard things? I believe you are going to change the world. And I want to be a part of that. I'm willing to make sacrifices. And I have. 
when you see this, you might be thinking, he seems like a decent guy. But when you know the full biblical story, Judas is the betrayer of Jesus. Judas is the one who delivers Jesus over to the religious officials that ultimately gets him set up to be killed and gotten rid of. And then Judas abandoned him like so many others did, but permanently. Yet you just saw he was a disciple. He had an interest in Jesus. He wanted to follow him. He had the skills to help Jesus' kingdom spread. And, and he even did contribute to some of that good in the spread of Jesus. But something happened, right? Whether it was caving to temptation or lack of conviction or his personal de desires superseded Jesus, something happened to his allegiance to God. Do you know anyone like that in their faith walk with Jesus? All in, but something happens. Or, or maybe, maybe you are feeling the tug for that right now, like wrestling with temptation or fighting with your desires and God's, or, or maybe wanting to abandon God's ways even when you know it's the wrong choice. Or potentially, potentially you're not even aware of it right now. But is there a possibility you could have some of the character traits like Judas that could change your walk with God in the future? For all of these, we're going to be digging into Scripture to, a bit to learn and see what Judas was really like and honestly what happened. Because like so many of us, I don't think he became a follower of Jesus planning on being that guy, the betrayer. Something happened in his journey. I want to know because I don't know about you, but I don't want to become him. I don't. I, I know I do though, wrestle with temptation. And I do have a lot of similarities to him. My hope is today that you will learn pretty much everything there is to know in the Bible about Judas today. Wouldn't that be helpful and maybe kind of interesting for the longtime Christian in the room? I hope you like that. But then most importantly for all of us today, I want us to spend some time checking ourselves to make sure we aren't on track with becoming like him. And if we find that we are, I want to give you hope and insight to change today. So we're going to dive in by learning a little bit about Judas Iscariot in in scripture. Iscariot is kind of like the last part of his name. Uh, it's how he's addressed in scripture. It wasn't per se his last name, but scholars think could have been one of two meanings. One is it being an adjective to distinguish him from other Judases in the Bible. Um, it was an adjective, Iscariot, meaning from the town of Kerath, which is probably what it was. Fewer scholars, though, believe that it could have even been a label that associated him with this Jewish political group that used assassination as a tactic, and Iscariot kind of defined that as well. We don't exactly know. But honestly, looking throughout the Bible, there isn't a ton on Judas. Where we first see Judas show up, actually, is amongst the list of the 12 disciples. We don't get a clear picture of his call from Jesus, but that, we, that he is one, is what we see. In Matthew 10, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. Right there, there he is. He's one of the 12, right? And what is he doing amongst the 12? Well, in this passage, he's getting the blessing and the ability to do the stuff. What stuff? The cool Christian stuff, right? The helping of the people, the healing of the people, praying for God to heal people. The amazing stuff we read about in scripture that is still truly God given to us uh, today. Yet for some reason we neglect a bit. But 
he gets firsthand experience of both seeing the miracles done by Jesus and doing them with him. So what happened here? There's another gospel that lists the disciples and they introduce him like this. Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. When I read that, it's stated to imply something changed. He became something else, someone else. He was with Jesus, right? He got to do the stuff and see the miraculous, but it didn't matter because he became something else. To pause for a second, I want to ask you, who would you say you are becoming right now? Who do you think you are going to become like? A few more details about Judas. Um, there's a time where the disciples, they walk into a home, and, and then this woman named Mary, it says, took out a, about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Like, this is an act of offering towards God that, that we just read about. Towards Jesus, it's beautiful, right? To display someone's desire and excitement for God. But instead of seeing the act as an offering, Scripture says this. But one of the disciples objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Who's saying such a cynical and judgy thing? It's Judas. It's Judas. I mean, he's strategic. And he gets it was good money. But not the time, bro. Read the room, right? Not the time. But he was good at strategizing. I mean, if we keep going in this passage, the next verse says this, as keeper of the money big. So he obviously has skill set with money. I mean, think of a time you have 12 grown men together sharing finances. Okay, that would never happen, but play along with me for a second here. But they are sharing everything that pays for what they eat and have and can acquire. Like literally only off of the money that's in the bag is what they have. There is no way they're giving it that authority to a dumb person, right? Or a sketchy person. Or the one who eats late night Taco Bell, right? Or the one who gets sucked into the 50% off sale or something like that. They're not picking that person. They're picking the skilled and thoughtful one that they had no doubts in. But scripture lets us in on his true motive that others didn't know at the time that, that after Judas said, why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, Scripture is saying. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Right after all this goes down, it says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This seems like the most intense betrayal, right, of Jesus. But I think he saw this as an act, as something that wouldn't be that bad. He was just doing what he had to do. It was, it was business and self-gain in his mind. A transactional thing that would probably help him or his family out. He saw that as priority. I don't think he had any real hard feelings against Jesus. It was just purely transactional. His own best interest. Have you felt that way about why you do what you do sometimes? Like, is it justified or maybe, maybe at least in your mind? Do you feel it's not that big of a deal to do stuff like that sometimes? You'll see why I, I do think that's the case for, for Judas in particular here. Because Judas did feel this. 
It says, shortly after, or shortly after this happens, uh, the Last Supper happens, and it says this. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. This, again, is really interesting, because it shows the disciples, they were unaware and unexpectant of anyone. It wasn't like, we all know who did it. He's been super sketchy lately. He's been so obvious. They were unaware. It's like when scripture says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. But the dinner continues. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Ye. Then Jesus, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. After this meal and the leaving of Judas, some time passes, and, and Jesus just knows his time's coming, that time of betrayal. He says, Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal to them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. And Jesus is arrested. And this last part gets a little gruesome here, but it says this. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Finally, the last bit of our goriness here. It says, Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery, falling head first there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akamdama, which means field of blood. Scholars believe that the money that Judas threw in couldn't be returned. So they bought a field in his name in which is where his gruesome death or of hanging happened or maybe even the failed attempt of ha hanging and falling headlong as scripture mentions there. Yikes. Yikes, right? The last verse we have is Acts 1.25. It says, Judas left to go where he belonged. And that's pretty much all we have. That's it. What do you think of that? Does it make you think, what happened? What changed, right? It leaves a lot of questions, but, but Scripture shows us it was, it was like only about kind of success for him. He was kind of selfish. He was greedy. He was cynical about others. He was about advancing himself. He was kind of shrewd. I don't know if you noticed, but like those are literally kind of like the negative side of those original words I said that are positive. An achiever, entrepreneurial, smart with money, business focused, seeks purpose and mission, strategic, thoughtful. Again, those aren't bad things, but it's a slippery slope. There are a lot of unknowns that would, again, transition Judas from a disciple of Jesus to becoming a traitor, in which the chosen, it does take some liberties in trying to depict it. Then they try to use this information that, that I just read to you to try and give us a picture of how it maybe could start to develop. So they portray him as one who 
is always wrestling with what is good and what is evil. Kind of like this scene. Check it out. Don't you want to do something that will really matter? That will be remembered throughout history? I'm Simon. Judas. Welcome, Judas. I'm sure you're gonna love this sermon. Oh, I wouldn't miss it. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Why didn't they take up a collection? They could be living like... He's around someone who's kind of pushing him to maybe go a different direction. Or, or maybe even this scene. Check this one out. Judas, you are angry. My understanding is shaken. I know nothing. Except he's the one true Messiah. And he called me. So they portray him as not really this bad guy who is so easily seen as bad but one who is in the midst of wrestling with what is good and bad and what is godly and what is selfish and what is worldly success and in what is godly success and what is right and what is wrong and what is too far and what is okay. Have you been there wrestling with this tension? Are you there right now? There's a quote. It says this, The line between what is good and evil pierces every heart. As in, we all have to make a decision on what is good and evil with certain things. But many of us tend to move it. We shift that line. We hold it loosely, it seems, these days. I think so many of us, we have a line in our hearts, whether it's with money or sex or pleasure or obedience or being truthful or holy or what's working too much or what's working too little or providing too little. But when opportunity presents itself, if we aren't cautious the line gets blurry. It's something that Judas struggled with that unfortunately so many of us identify with, myself included. Like I go through moments where I wrestle with where I let that line pierce my heart. Now before we really analyze Judas, I do want to state some pastors or scholars would maybe say that Judas was the manifestation of Satan himself or destined to be the evil one. There's a verse in Luke 22.3, it says, Then Satan entered the heart of Judas. As in, he, he, it's right before he goes to the priest to kind of concoct a plan against Jesus. And some believe he was Satan. Others say evil just shifted too far in his heart. I'm not a great enough scholar to like, to, in this particular top, topic, to completely omit the theory that Judas was destined to be the evil one. But I do tend to believe that Judas was a human like you and me that was wrestling with keeping evil ways and temptations from overtaking him or letting his own personal selfishness and desires take over. I think that because I personally know the wrestling and the struggles and know they're real. Like for me, to try and be like as open and real with you as possible, the wrestling I personally struggle with of pursuing, is, is pursuing like what I think is maybe best for me, thinking I deserve this over giving what's best to God or sometimes choosing maybe abstinence or, or not going with, forward with something. Like I think, you know, I could have one more drink. So I like it. I like it. And, you know, I'm relaxing right now. And I could cross a line at certain times. Or I think, you know, I, I could use a few more things in my house. Like it's a, I, don't, I don't need any more stuff, but I could use more stuff. In my mind is what I'm saying even though I don't need it. 
or I could go for more, having more money, even though I'm doing just fine. So I, sometimes I work way too much and neglect my family. Or I feel I deserve this, the relaxation, the praise, the affirmation, the perk, even though I'm not greater than anyone else. And sometimes that perk could be a little bit of a stretch. Sometimes I choose my pleasure over godliness. What about you? If you do, where? I don't know about you, but I don't want to become like Judas. But I know I do have tendencies, and I do have habits that seem similar-ish. So what I want to do for our remaining time is talk about some of the things God has given us that would be things that could have helped Judas. And the first one, I think, is really easy. It's examine your motives. Examine your motives. Psalm 139, 23 to 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a prayer, a prayer that you can do. When you pray that, you're asking God to reveal in your heart your thoughts, the real you. Reveal to me the real me, God. Or in other words, you're asking God to help you become self-aware of who you are. Being self-aware is it's kind of like a buzzword right now, it seems. Like, uh, and what it means is just kind of, it's, it's more than, than just discovering, are you a bad leader? Or do you dress funny? Or are you an awkward person? It's more than that. Um, being self-aware means this. It's like, it's all about having an understanding of your own thoughts, feelings, values, beliefs, and actions, right? Uh, a funny example of this is uh, years ago, there was a popular worship song um, called Oceans by Hillsong Worship. Every church played it. It was a slower song, meant to be a bit more melodic and dramatic. But then when you add a, like, a drummer like this in, right, it's like, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. And he's just banging it out. It doesn't quite fit. It's like he just maybe wasn't quite self-aware enough that, like, of his role or what the song's supposed to sound like. But it maybe makes me wonder, like, what was his motive for playing Maybe, maybe it was completely pure. Who knows? Maybe I'm being a little like Judas was when the perfume was poured on Jesus' feet. Um, but anyways, Judas, or a person with Judas tendencies, needs to examine their motives. Like, why does he want to follow Jesus? Why does he want to be the money keeper? Why is he acting the way he's acting? Us too. We need to examine our motives and become self-aware of our motives, of what your heart's desires are. Especially so because scripture tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. There are so many things in each of our hearts that are struggles personal to us. But some of them aren't even seemingly bad. But the motive is, at least in our, inside us, are you aware of them? Like, are you aware that you do what you do because your key motivation is to be liked or to have financial gain or to look like a good person or to be successful or to be the leader. Examining our motives to become aware of the deceitful part of our heart is what leads to being open and vulnerable to God about yourself. It's what leads God's directing you in your potential shortcomings. And it helps you not to become a Judas. Harvard Business states this. They state that self-aware, people that are self-aware, we tend to be more confident and more creative. Sounder decisions happen when you're self-aware. Stronger relationships. We communicate more effectively. We're less likely to lie, cheat, and steal. We're, there's, you get more promotions. You're a better worker. You're more effective leaders. 
all great things. Yay, right? But they also state this. Even though most people believe they are self-aware, only 10 to 15% of the people we studied actually fit the criteria, right? So how do you fit the criteria? How do you, how do you become self-aware? And they state how you do that is become both internal and external self-aware. Internal self-awareness would be representing how clearly we see our own values, our passions, our aspirations, how we fit with the environment, reactions, including our thoughts, feelings, behaviors, strengths, and weaknesses, and impact on others. External self-awareness is understanding how other people view us in terms of those same factors. Are you doing these? Asking for God to search your heart or have self-awareness of what's going on inside and out around you. I love hearing this because I think we need both internal and external self-awareness. Ex external self-awareness specifically because James 5.16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Like we are to share and assess where we are at with things with others to gain external self-awareness. That's scripture. For you, do you have someone you can do that with? If not, who can you start with? And ask the question, like, what do you see in my life? What appears to be the driving force in my life? Is it, is it good or bad? What do you think? For you, do you have someone like that? Maybe, maybe you're not there yet, though. Maybe you're not there yet. You need to maybe just simply start with the internal. Like, being reflective and honest with yourself personally. Like, asking yourself, what are my motives? With Judas, we see he had motives for self-gain. He had motives for strategy. He was extremely cynical, and he lacked heart behind what Jesus was really trying to do for some people. Was he honest about this with himself? Was he honest with the other disciples about this? We don't know. We don't know. But you can start with you today. You can know about you today. The next thing that could have helped Judas in, uh, in not becoming who he did is creating safeguards from your vices. A safeguard is, is something that protects. Um, it's something that protects and gives safety. It's an extra precaution to protect us from going towards that thing that, that, that could pull us to wrong or even things that could become our wrong. What would you say your vice is? Is it money, sex, pleasure, power, or leadership? Is it maybe laziness? Is it being seen as successful? When you're self-aware of it, our first point, you can then put precautions in. Like in Judas's situation, he knew he was a thief, right? Like you can't just hide that from yourself. If you're, if you're stealing, you can't just hide that. But you can massage it. Like you can make it feel like it's natural or justified or make it feel like it's not that bad. Like and work it up in your mind. But he didn't even have a safeguard, it seems. And unfortunately, our strengths tend to be the things that need a safeguard. He knew money and strategy is something he is good at and enjoys. Could he have had a safeguard in place to stop him from getting to a tempting spot? Yeah, right? Yeah, he was stealing. So he absolutely should have put one in then. But even before that, if he really wanted to stop, he should have put precautions in, right? Like had another person do the counting with him. Had another person check and verify. Have another person keep accountability with him. Does it sound like a burden? Yeah. It kind of is a burden to have someone do that with you. But isn't being a thief worse than being a burden? It's hard though. Right? It's hard in those moments like that because we all fall to temptation and we all struggle with it. One prominent pastor 
I listen to quite regularly and study, his advice is instead of, instead of doing this with whatever maybe it is that you're struggling with, we like to go to the edge, right? The end. Uh, we like to walk the line of certain things. There's a balanced beam on stage, and I haven't really practiced. I was successful the first service, but I might, be, might fail this time. But we like to walk the edge. Like, if I, I don't want to fall off. I don't want to go to the wrong. But I'm going to just kind of walk that line as close as I possibly can, right? As close as I possibly can. We like to walk that edge of whatever is good and bad. We get as close as we can to it. Like we are walking right on the edge of what is good and evil, right? We like danger. We like it. It even starts with kids. At home, my daughter, um, she'll like push her sister, right? She'll push her sister, and then I'll be like, no, stop. And then she like will look at me. And then she'll do it like in slow motion <laughs> to like see if I'm going to stop her again. You know, it was like, and like we would make eye contact. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's quite interesting. Children don't know how to make safeguards, right? So I've made them for her. Instead of having it happen again, I'm like, nope, you're not going over there. I, I'll move her, right? I'll move her. I move the line for her. And that's what the pastor says. Instead of walking right on the edge of what's good and bad, move the line. Move the line. If I moved it, I don't even have to worry about falling off, right? At least the edge. Instead of walking the line, move the line. Move the line so you're not on the edge. Instead of just fighting temptation to go to that site, block it completely, or get your phone or your computer out of your room at that certain time of the day. Instead of dealing with money on your timeline in a tempting place, do it in the public with others to watch. Instead of making a power decision like that you've been waiting to do, bring someone else in and let them choose. Again, we don't know if Judas moved the line for himself, but you can know for you. And even still, we will all fail, even, even with the precautions, which leads to the next thing Judas should have done or needed. It's to pursue continuous heart change. In our Christian walk, unfortunately, we don't just reach like, and now you're the most amazing, mature Christian. Yay! We don't reach the pinnacle of Christianity in this life here on earth, right? The Christian walk of maturity, it looks like this, this graph. It's just like all over the place. Up, down, up, down. Sometimes it goes down really deep. Sometimes it stays high. You need to continually seek self-awareness and set safeguards. Because I don't know about you, but I am continually, the more I live here, the, the more I'm exposed to more sex things and opportunities and chances and power and lust and cravings and, and money. Without a consistent pursuit of heart change, you might fall. You might fail. You might miss it. Psalm 5110, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We need consistent renewal. When, you, when are you allowing God to do that in your mind? What does heart change look like for you? What does pursuit of heart change look like for you? Right now, I'm personally kind of nervous about this. I, I really am. I'm personally a little nervous about this. I love my wife right now a lot. I love my job. I love my family. I love my life. I love our church. But if I just expected everything to be all perfect and great like that, without any pursuit of, of heart change with God's help, I better watch out. I better watch out. Because I don't know about you, because the outside sources seem to get craftier and craftier trying to pull me away from those things. I need to continue to be praying and seeking out God in Scripture and pursuing Him more through community with other Christians or, or a church. 
seeking for his answers and direction. It's something we intentionally need to do. One thing I've noticed as I've aged, and I know I'm a younger pastor still, but I do keep getting older. I've done this for 14 years now or so. Um, I'm getting more skilled as a pastor. I'm getting more talented in my craft. I'm getting more confident. I'm honestly better at it than I was 14 years ago. I know a lot of the answers people typically have in ministry and, and church. I know a lot of ministry tactics. I'm fairly good at what I do. I'm not saying this to brag, but I know that if my skill is greater than my character or my godliness or my pursuit of holiness, I will crumble. For you, is your character in balance with your skill? It's a great burden. If you have more gifts than your character can bear. That was Judas. Here's a little of how Judas was portrayed with that. As he had skill. And we'll see a little scene on that. Check it out. I've developed some ideas on ways we can generate income to sustain our ministry in a reliable way. It's an advance. Let's take weeks off. Rest, go for walks, do something new. Hmm? Really? Why not? You're the one who said there's more to life than making money. Thank you. I don't know what to say. He knew how to set up the finances. He knew how to set himself up for success. It was a burden because his holiness and character wasn't there. Are you pursuing continuous heart change today? Praying, reading scripture, continuous reflecting and being self-aware. Are you putting in the safeguards when those certain things that you're talented at are? I think these would have kept Judas on track. But the last thing I want to touch on today is I think the most important. Repentance, not just remorse, is necessary. Seek repentance with God, not just remorse. Repentance is choosing to go the other direction. Remorse is feeling sad. Judas felt sad. He went in, he turned in the coins, but he didn't change. They even said, like, that's up to you. That's, that's your problem to deal with. But he didn't change. Even after his actions, Judas could have asked God's forgiveness or for God's forgiveness, but he didn't. He may have felt some remorse from fear, which, which caused him to return that money to the Pharisees, but he never repented. He preferred to commit suicide. He never returned to Jesus. It's sad because Jesus wants us to. He knows we're going to fail, yet he still wants us. I think the greatest scripture example of this action is my all-time favorite parable. It's the prodigal son. And how that story goes is there's a dad who's got two sons, and the one son in particular is the prodigal son. They, he's like, Dad, I wish you are dead. I want my inheritance that I would receive if you're dead. And then he goes off, and he spends it all on reckless living, just lives it up, and eventually runs out of money, finds himself about to eat pig's food, just living in the dumps. And he finds himself thinking, I could go back home. I'd be better than here. Maybe my, maybe my dad would take me back as a servant even. But instead, he starts to return home thinking, all right, I'm going to be a servant. The dad sees him and runs him, embraces him, and says, my son has returned. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy you're a part of the family. Put a ring on his finger, meaning he now has access to our inheritance again. He's part of the family again. Jesus tells the story to show all can be forgiven. All can repent and be welcomed back, but it's up to that person. And what's sad, what's sad is this was probably a parable Jesus 
told, and Judas directly heard from Jesus. When you acknowledge wrong in your life, will you address it and go to God? Will you not just feel bad, but turn the other way? It would have changed the fate for Judas. As I'm getting close to wrapping up today, today we reflected on someone who was the betrayer. He wasn't like this easily seen as this person who was, yeah, you're definitely the betrayer. It wasn't seen that way. Again, he was a disciple. He got to do the stuff. He was one of Jesus' 12. But he let his selfishness, his own motives take over. And he became the betrayer. A question we started with is, who are you becoming? What do you need to do? Examine your motives, put in safeguards against your vices, pursue continuous heart change, repentance instead of just remorse. If you're that last one, if you're that last one today, and you specifically, like, you haven't been close or gone back to God for a long time in, in just life right now, but you want to get back on track with him, I'm going to say a prayer where you can recommit to God and say, God, I want to pursue you. I know I've done wrong. I, I want to pursue you. Help me make things right. And you are what makes things right in my life. And tell him that you're going to return to him and start moving his direction. Um, so I'm going to pray for that person that maybe is, is dealing with that. But then I'm also going to pray for all of us, um, whatever action is that we need to step forward on and make sure is part of our life. Would you pray with me as I close this? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us a clear example of, of how not to uh, become a traitor. God, I just pray that um, we can learn from Judas. We can learn from him and, and see that it's not just about remorse, it's about repentance. And God, some of us right now are saying, God, we want to turn back to you. We want to follow you. Help us go away, turn the other way from our mistakes, our wrongs that we've pursued in life. And then God, some of us right now are or maybe wrestling with some Judas characteristics. So God, I just pray you have us act on the action that needs to be maybe fixed or corrected in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.